to the Data Skeptic bonus feed, where we release extended content on data science, statistics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Argument 5. Arguments from various disabilities. These arguments take the form, I grant you that you can make machines do all the things you have mentioned, but you will never be able to make one do X. Numerous features X are suggested in this connection. I offer a selection. Be kind, resourceful, beautiful, friendly, have initiative, have a sense of humor, tell right from wrong, make mistakes, fall in love, enjoy strawberries and cream, make someone fall in love with it, learn from experience, use words properly, be the subject of its own thoughts, have as much diversity of behavior as a man, do something really new. Some of these disabilities are given special consideration in the remainder of this section. No support is usually offered for these statements. I believe they are mostly founded on the principle of scientific induction. A man has seen thousands of machines in his lifetime. From what he sees of them, he draws a number of general conclusions. They are ugly. Each is designed for a very limited purpose. When required for a minutely different purpose, they are useless. The variety of behaviors of any one of them is very small, etc., etc. Naturally, he concludes that these are necessary properties of machines in general. Many of these limitations are associated with the very small storage capacity of most machines. I am assuming that the idea of storage capacity is extended in some way to cover machines other than discrete state machines. The exact definition does not matter as no mathematical accuracy is claimed in the present discussion. A few years ago, when very little had been heard of digital computers, it was possible to elicit much incredulity concerning them if one mentioned their properties without describing their construction. That was presumably due to a similar application of the principle of scientific induction. These applications of the principle are, of course, largely unconscious. When a burnt child fears the fire and shows that he fears it by avoiding it, I should say that he was applying scientific induction. I could, of course, also describe his behavior in many other ways. The works and customs of mankind do not seem to be very suitable material to which to apply scientific induction. A very large part of space-time must be investigated if reliable results are to be obtained. Otherwise, we may, as most English children do, decide that everybody speaks English and that it is silly to learn French. There are, however, special remarks to be made about many of the disabilities that have been mentioned. The inability to enjoy strawberries and cream may have struck the reader as frivolous. Possibly a machine might be made to enjoy this delicious dish, but any attempt to make one do so would be idiotic. What is important about this disability is that it contributes to some of the other disabilities. For example, to the difficulty of the same kind of friendliness occurring between man and machine as between white man and white man, or between black man and black man. The claim that machines cannot make mistakes seems a curious one. One is tempted to retort, are they any the worse for that? But let us adopt a more sympathetic attitude and try to see what is really meant. I think this criticism can be explained in terms of the imitation game. It is claimed that the interrogator could distinguish the machine from the man simply by sending them a number of problems in arithmetic. The machine would be unmasked because of its deadly accuracy. The reply to this is simple. The machine, programmed for playing the game, would not attempt to give the right answer to the arithmetic problems. It would deliberately introduce mistakes in a manner calculated to confuse the interrogator. A mechanical fault would probably show itself through an unsuitable decision as to what sort of a mistake to make in the arithmetic. Even this interpretation of the criticism is not sufficiently sympathetic, but we cannot afford the space to go into it much further. 
It seems to me that this criticism depends on a confusion between two kinds of mistake. We may call them errors of functioning and errors of conclusion. Errors of functioning are due to some mechanical or electrical fault which causes the machine to behave otherwise than it was designed to do. In philosophical discussions, one likes to ignore the possibility of such errors. One is therefore discussing abstract machines. These abstract machines are mathematical fictions rather than the physical objects. By definition, they are incapable of errors of functioning. In this sense, we can truly say that machines can never make mistakes. Errors of conclusion can only arise when some meaning is attached to the output signal of the machine. The machine might, for instance, type out mathematical equations or sentences in English. When a false proposition is typed, we say that the machine has committed an error of conclusion. There is clearly no reason at all for saying that a machine cannot make this kind of mistake. It might do nothing but type out repeatedly 0 equals 1. To take a less perverse example, it might have some methods for drawing conclusions by scientific induction. We must expect such a method to lead occasionally to erroneous results. The claim that a machine cannot be the subject of its own thoughts can of course only be answered if it can be shown that the machine has some thought with some subject matter. Nevertheless, the subject matter of the machine's operation does seem to mean something, at least to the people who deal with it. If, for instance, the machine was trying to find a solution of the equation x squared minus 40x minus 11 equals 0, one would be tempted to describe this equation as part of the machine's subject matter at that moment. In this sort of sense, a machine undoubtedly can be its own subject matter. It may be used to help in making up its own programs, or to predict the effect of alterations in its own structure. By observing the results of its own behavior, it can modify its own programs so as to achieve some purpose more effectively. These are possibilities of the near future rather than the utopian dreams. The criticism that a machine cannot have much diversity of behavior is just a way of saying that it cannot have much storage capacity. Until fairly recently, a storage capacity of even a thousand digits was very rare. The criticisms that we are considering here are often disguised forms of arguments from consciousness. Usually, if one maintains that a machine can do one of these things, and describes the kind of method that the machine could use, one will not make much of an impression. It is thought that the method, whatever it may be, for it must be mechanical, is really rather base. Compare this to Jefferson's statements quoted earlier. Argument 6. Lady Lovelace's Objection. Our most detailed information of Babbage's analytical engine comes from a memoir by Lady Lovelace. In it, she states, The analytical engine has no pretensions to originate anything. It can do whatever we know how to order it to perform. This statement is quoted by Hartree, who adds, This does not imply that it may not be possible to construct electronic equipment which will think for itself, or in which, in biological terms, one could set up a conditioned reflex, which would serve as a basis for learning. Whether it is possible in principle or not is a stimulating and exciting question suggested by some of these recent developments. But it did not seem that the machines constructed or projected at the time had this property. I am in thorough agreement with Hartree over this. It will be noticed that he does not assert that the machines in questions had not got the property, but rather that the evidence available to Lady Lovelace did not encourage her to believe that they had it. It is quite possible that the machines in question had in a sense got this property. For suppose that some discrete state machine has the property. The analytical engine was a universal digital computer, so that if its storage capacity and speed were adequate, 
it could, by suitable programming, be made to mimic the machine in question. Probably this argument did not occur to the Countess or to Babbage. In any case, there was no obligation on them to claim all that could be claimed. This whole question will be considered again under the heading of learning machines. A variant of Lady Lovelace's objection states that a machine can never do anything really new. This can be parried for a moment with the saw, There is nothing new under the sun. Who can be certain that original work that he has done was not simply the growth of the seed planted in him by teaching, or the effect of following well-known general principles? A better variant of this objection says that a machine can never take us by surprise. This statement is a more direct challenge and can be met directly. Machines take me by surprise with great frequency. This is largely because I do not do sufficient calculations to decide what to expect them to do, or rather because, although I do a calculation, I do it in a hurried, slipshod fashion, taking risks. Perhaps, I say to myself, I suppose the voltage here ought to be the same as there. Anyway, let's assume it is. Naturally, I am often wrong, and the result is a surprise for me, for by the time the experiment is done, these assumptions have been forgotten. These admissions lay me open to lectures on the subject of my vicious ways, but do not throw any doubt on my credibility when I testify to the surprises I experience. I do not expect this reply to silence my critic. He will probably say that such surprises are due to some creative mental act on my part and reflect no credit on the machine. This leads us back to the argument from consciousness, and far from the idea of surprise. It is a line of argument we must consider closed, but it is perhaps worth remarking that the appreciation of something as surprising requires as much of a creative mental act, whether the surprising event originated from a man, a book, a machine, or anything else. The view that machines cannot give rise to surprises is due, I believe, to a fallacy to which philosophers and mathematicians are particularly subject. This is the assumption that as soon as a fact is presented to a mind, all consequences of that fact spring into the mind simultaneously with it. It is a very useful assumption under many circumstances, but one too easily forgets that it is false. A natural consequence of doing so is that one then assumes that there is no virtue in the mere working out of consequences from data and general principles. Data Skeptic is a listener-supported program. To support the show, visit dataskeptic.com and click on the membership tab.